Saturday, we're going to have armor, and uh, we're going to meet here uh, so that it gives us more space to spread out and, uh, and be able to to, um, to gather in person, and we can spread the chairs out here a little bit. So that's at 8.30 on Saturday, and uh, on December 11th, so just plan accordingly if you're listening to them. January 8th, am I right? Yeah. So the 8th at 8.30, we'll meet here, and there'll be coffee, and we'll probably have some donuts, and uh, we'll gather together and get around the word. Look for an email from Steve. It will have the passage that we're going to look at this coming week. And, uh, and listen, if you're looking for something to start new habits in the new year, studying the word would be, as, as your friend, as a brother in Christ, as your pastor, uh, dig deep into God's word should be at the top of your habits list, not resolutions, but just new habits that you want to develop and deepen in. And I can promise you that when we get together, whether it's the ladies at Adorn or the men at Armor, that's one thing we do. We enjoy our time together, but we definitely get into the word. And, uh, and so if you can, uh, join us at 8.30. If you don't get those emails right now, haven't gotten an email from Armor, please see Steve today and let him know, and we can get your email added to it. And know that not everybody can come, uh, and not everyone can be there, and that's okay too. Uh, if you would like, we have a Zoom option that we can put out to everybody. If, you, if you're not in a place where you can be here physically, or feel like you, you, you can come in physically or whatever, uh, just let us know. We'll get a Zoom link set up so that uh, you can join in on the conversation. Bible study. Um, so that's worked out pretty well on both ends, whether it's uh, armor or adornment. So 8.30, uh, guys will meet here uh, on Saturday. Uh, also want to let you know this coming Wednesday will be a prayer time. We're going to do that prayer time on Zoom, so we won't meet here this time. Uh, we're going to be on Zoom. So look for that link to come in your email inbox this week, and, uh, and we'll, we'll gather on Zoom for a time of prayer. That's just going to be a time for us to kickstart a year meeting together and going to God in prayer together. So uh, if, you, if you can, join us this coming Wednesday, the 4th, at, or the 5th, sorry, at, uh, at 7 o'clock. We're going to have a time of prayer. Usually goes about an hour, 7 to 8, whenever we're on Zoom. So hope you can join us for that. And the other thing to put on your calendar is on January 30th, we're going to have a covenantal family meeting. So it'll be the first time that we in the history of Journey Church will have a meeting like this where we uh, confirm leadership, where we uh, confirm a new budget, um, all those fun church meeting stuff. But it is exciting. It isn't. Uh, I used to think church meetings were so boring and pointless. And, uh, and then I got on staff at a church and still felt like they were boring and pointless. And, uh, but, uh, man, I, I am excited about where we're headed, about what we're doing. And this gives us an opportunity to explain what we mean when we say membership. 
what we mean when we, when we say that there's a budget and what we're spending money on and what the money's going towards. Um, we'll give you an opportunity to interact and have questions. If you have questions, all the leaders will be here. We'll give you an opportunity to see who's on the leadership team and why, those kinds of things. So uh, January 30th, we'll provide lunch right after the service, and then we'll have a covenantal meeting in here uh, to cover that. Um, I think we'll probably do a Zoom option too so that people who aren't able to be here can join in on that and, uh, and even have a way to work through, figure out the details and ask some questions and things through that. So hopefully you can join us for that, January 30th. And, uh, and we'll be sending out some information ahead of time. So you have some time to look over some things before that so that uh, you can uh, maybe even ask some of your questions ahead of that time so that we're not here you know, all afternoon together. But not that I'd mind spending the afternoon. So, so anyway, January 30th, it's just going to be a time for us to dig in together and, uh, and look at what, the, what we feel the Lord's leading us to and uh, budget questions I think that's all by way of announcements that I've got for you. Um, and uh, if there's anything that comes up that uh, we need to, we'll send it out in email and we'll just check that and uh, get in touch with us if you have any questions. This past scripture we're going to start with today is one that, uh, man, I've just, I've read it a few times this week and coming into a new year, it's been, uh, it's been really helpful for my soul to focus in on these promises that were written thousands of years ago through the prophet. Isaiah, listen to what he says. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. When the ball dropped, Ed and I actually stayed up for it this year. It's uncommon most times ball dropped, and confetti fell, and everyone said Happy New Year. Do you know what Megan and I did? We sighed. Anyone else feel that way coming into a new year? Feel released from the old one, but the new one doesn't feel all that exciting? We're going to get into that when we look into the Word together today. But remember now, consider the things of old. Behold, God says, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, and rivers, and the desert. Let's remember that, God, and faithfulness today as we kick off the new year, gathering and worship. Let's pray with me. Man, God, we are so grateful for your presence in our lives, your promises. But always yes and amen. You don't just make promises, you keep them. So we gather today in confidence that you are God, that you are a God that makes rivers in the desert and makes pathways through the wilderness. And uh, we, we, we want to trust you. Maybe we're in a place this morning where trusting you doesn't feel like something that comes to us very easily. This is a place where we can confidently confess that and admit that. We can still sing these songs with confidence in our hearts because we know you are unchanging. Make the words of these songs true in our hearts, even if they don't feel true right now. 
find ourselves singing with joy. You are doing a new thing. We want to pursue it. We want to feel it. We want to know where you're moving. So may our worship be robust in our hearts and a sweet sound to your ears. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and worship?
start a new year this year. I don't know if the same is true for you, but the past two years have been, there's been so much good and so much joy that our family reflected on yesterday, yesterday afternoon, but as we reflected, we also reflected on so much hard over the past two years. Um, so I've found myself the past few days fearing what the next hard will be. Looking at the new year like, okay, like Adam said, that exhale of like, okay, God, what what will the hard be in the coming year? Um, and, so, and as I've battled that fear, I've found great comfort also in, um, in Isaiah's words, in Isaiah 40. And as I read um, these verses, um, I challenge you to really think about this God that he's talking about in these verses. It says, a voice says cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and clothed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows his, him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? It says later, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol. A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. <coughs> scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who calls out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because of his strong, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, 
and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I found myself asking myself those questions. Do you not know? Have you not heard? How can you say you're hidden from God? He's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And this is the God who walked with us through the coming year. He walked us through the last one, and he's going to walk us through this one. The creator God who rules over the universe knows me, and he knows you. So my prayer for this year is that we want to know him. And I don't know if I could think of a better song or prayer for us to collectively sing and pray together this morning as we start a new year than just that phrase of, I want to know you. God, I want to know who you are. Because we trust the one that we know, right? This is the God that we trust. This is the God that we follow. And as we go through the book of Matthew, we get to see God incarnate. We get to see who God is like. Because Jesus is the exact imprint of God. So may that be our prayer. God, nothing else satisfies. I want to know you.
Lord's and know you by the power of the Holy Spirit through your word. We thank you for hearing our prayers and for fellowship with you, your love, your grace, and your desire to meet us where we are. You are our Heavenly Father who lives and reigns three in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, who you brought into the world to be the perfect sacrifice. Father, speak through Pastor Adam as he brings forth your message for us, so that we may know you more. Your love, grace, our true hope and peace. Amen. Amen. Kids, you're dismissed. Journey kids. We're going to continue testimony, just so you know. Uh, we're working on that schedule through the new year. We have uh, some of those slots filled, and uh, so it was a lot to ask people to come out on Christmas and be prepared for this today. So just know that in the next coming weeks, we're going to have more people sharing testimony up here on Sundays, and that's something we want to keep going throughout the year. So if you haven't had a chance to get up here and tell your story, we'd love to hear that. And so uh, some of you have been asked if you're willing to, and and uh, if you are, that would be awesome to be able to join in that with you. You know, last week, the day after Christmas, we looked at King Herod's decision. His decision was to protect his own kingdom. He felt like he had built something for himself, and he worked hard to protect it at the cost and expense of many, many other people. That's what we see happen in Matthew 2 starting in verse 16. Now, we're going to be in Matthew 2 today to close out this chapter, verses 19 through 23, is where we're going to focus our time and attention today. So if you have your Bible and want to turn there, it'll be great. Uh, and uh, we'll see what God has in store for us. But last week, what we saw was Joseph was told in a dream to flee away from Bethlehem and go into Egypt, where he would be far out of the reach of this tyrannical king trying to protect his own legacy. And he escapes the infanticide carried out by Herod. All the male children in Bethlehem, two years and younger, were ordered by Herod to be killed. No questions asked, no exceptions made. So these families were dealt quite a blow by Herod's uh, desire to protect his own kingdom and his own legacy. Him doing that, we talked last week about how that is, is the pattern of somebody who feels like they have something to protect here in earth, that something they built for themselves. And so uh, when at all costs kind of mentality, it always comes at somebody else's expense. And this week we're going to look at Joseph, Mary, Jesus, going to what would become Jesus' earthly home, which is good news for now. So if you're there, Matthew 2, 19-23, I think it'll be on the screen. You can follow along. We're going to look at it uh, together here. Matthew 2, 19-23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. Without, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay, so it starts with a word here. Starts with a word, three-letter word, but. But when Herod died. So for that to make sense, we have to relook at what we looked at last week, right? We have to look at Herod killing the children. That there was this prophecy that said a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's recognizing the pain of what happened to the people of Bethlehem that were left behind. But Jesus is out of that, and so he starts off with, but when Herod died, and here's what that means. I see two meanings in this start of it this way. One is Herod's plan failed. All it did was cause pain and anguish to other people. And it accomplished nothing. His plan failed. His insecurities as a leader, as a king, as someone in a royal position failed him. He led with them, and it caused other people pain and anguish, and it accomplished nothing in the long run. The other thing that this means is that regardless of him trying to protect this kingdom he had built for himself, he met what all of us have in common, should the Lord tarry, we will all die. That is a common denominator of human beings. Herod wasn't above that. He met his end, regardless. Now I'm going to tell you some details here because I think they're important. Not just because they're gross. That's your, that's your present. Just saying. Josephus was a uh, Jewish historian that kept historic records. And you, they've been verified through archaeological evidence. And Josephus kept record of Herod's death. And he said that Herod died from intense itching and maggots ate him from the inside. And this shows that the science community sometimes just has too much time on their hands. Uh, in 2002, there was a post-mortem review board put together. And every year, they take like a, a famous person from the past that we don't have any like stringent medical records of. And they try to put their heads together to, to write down that if that person were to die today, what would be the confirmed cause of death? It's like fun for forensic scientists, I think. It's like how they spend their spare time. Uh, and this group every year gets together. And in 2002, one of the people that they wanted to scientifically say, the updated that they were to die today, what would be their cause of death, was King Herod. 
And so they looked through all the historic and biblical records, whether it was from uh, Matthew here, Matthew's account, or whether it was from Josephus' account. They pulled together everything they could, and they came up with this review that said that based on historical data, Herod died of kidney disease exacerbated by gangrene in his genitals. Sounds delightful, right? I know that's gross. His end came in an awful way. Josephus goes on to say that Herod died from being eaten on the inside out. Here's why I share that. It's not just for shock value. It's not just to say something gross. When I was a youth pastor, that would have been my point. <laughs> I promise it's not my point. He wanted to, I just, when I see in that, they're so striking to me. And I, I, I'm saying this because I see this propensity in in my worst moments, and when my flesh takes the lead, I see this kind of stuff in my own life. That Herod focused so much on protecting and guarding his kingdom that he had built, to, to protecting this facade that he had built. He didn't care at all for his own life. That gangrene that he had came from an STD, most people. So he cared little for his own personal well-being and focused all of his leadership energy on protecting the exterior that he thought he had. And at the end, he died a horrendous <coughs> death. And out of all the things, Herod was the king when the temple got rebuilt. Of all the things that he could be remembered for, that's what Josephus decided to write down. That's what stood out. This legacy that he was thinking he was building for himself. And when he's gone, that's how history remembers him. In 2002, when his name gets brought up into modern society, all they're doing is trying to figure out what it means that he was eaten by maggots. same dynamic, but I see some of those same propensities in my own self with my sin nature, and I think we're honest with ourselves. We all do some of that. We put forward a full lot of energy to protect what I want you to feel, and put very little energy into who I really am. Here's the Verse 22, it brings up Archelaus. Now, history would say that Archelaus turned out to be just like his daddy, chip off the old block. His reputation preceded him, and Joseph knew that. Now, when Herod died, uh, Caesar Augustus saw the calamity that was caused by Herod having this, king, this kingdom so wide. So, basically, Herod was a wasn't really a king. He was by title, but it was basically a way for Caesar Augustus to keep the Jewish people happy. That's essentially what he did. He put a king in place 
so that he had a babysitter in place that, that would do what he wanted to do, and it kept the Jewish people happy that they still had a king. But they weren't ruled by Rome. They were, but they didn't feel like they were because they still had a palace and they still had a king. But Herod was kind of like the British monarchy is today. There was a palace and there was royalty in it, but they really carried no weight in decision-making. And so Archelaus is one of Herod's son, sons, and Caesar Augustus sees the calamity that was caused by Herod's bad decisions, and he divides the kingdom up into four regions and makes Herod's children rulers over four different regions. And Archelaus is one of them that happens to get the region in Israel that apparently Joseph was leaning towards going to. But he's not overseeing the region of Nazareth, which is where Mary and Joseph were actually from before they went to Bethlehem. So Herod's kingdom, like I said, divided into four parts. Joseph went back to Nazareth because it wasn't in Archelaus's jurisdiction, and it fulfilled the prophecy. In verse 23, it tells us the prophecy will be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, let me break that down for you a little bit because that makes... I wanted to make sense of that in my own head. When it says that, that's not saying that there was specific prophecy in place, because you won't really find it in the Old Testament that said that this, the Savior was going to be from Nazarene. And it wasn't the same as a Nazarite vow like Samson took. So Samson took the Nazarite vow, which meant that he wouldn't, he wouldn't shave his beard, he wouldn't, he wouldn't get his hair cut. It's different spellings, even, completely. So there's not the same thing. Here's what this means. All throughout Old Testament, this is what Matthew, he's summing up a whole lot of prophecy in one statement. Prophecy all throughout the Old Testament would say that the Messiah would be raised in relative obscurity. And that word, Nazarene, it sums all that up. Small town, insignificant town, uh, of no merit. A lot of people wouldn't even know where it was. That's why it's worded the way it is the district of Galilee, a city called Nazareth. It's like me telling you where I'm from. Like, oh, where are you from? Pennsylvania. Oh, really? What part? You know where Pittsburgh is? Yeah. You know where Johnstown is? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know where Johnstown is? Okay. Do you know where Evansburg is? You know, you know where Evansburg is? Okay, do you know where Nanny Glow is? No. So it's this, it's this small town of little consequence, right? Anyone else from a small town like that? No, the rest of you, everybody I know is like, I'm from the Northeast. Everyone's from Philadelphia. Everyone knows what Philadelphia is. So I'm from this obscure small town in western Pennsylvania. And that's exactly what's happening here. The prophecy said that the Messiah would come from... I'm not comparing myself to the Messiah. <laughs> I saw some of you have that look on your face. I'm going with this. It's not where it is my notes. But the prophecies throughout the Old Testament talk about how the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, would be, would be raised in relative obscurity, and he would be despised and rejected, it says. And Nathaniel even 
whenever he's called to be a disciple, his response, whenever he's told about this prophet, this great prophet from Nazareth, and we believe him to be the son of God, come with me. He told me everything I, I've ever done. Nathaniel, come with me. You've got to meet this guy. And Nathaniel's first words out of his mouth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's the reputation that Nazareth has. If you know where it is, you're not saying that it's just horrible things that come from there. You're saying that it's so of so little consequence that nothing can come from there of any kind of significance. So God being God, the way God does things, he maps out the, the, the story perfectly so that when Jesus is raised, A, he's raised in a town that is familiar to Joseph and Mary. When he comes on the scene as a great prophet that everyone sees him as right out of the gate, a great teacher, a rabbi, and then eventually the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, eventually that's the sequence. He didn't come down from a throne on earth and say, I am earthly royalty and I demand your respect and come down to the people. He was always with us. He's always a common man to the point where no one knew who he was. Can you imagine that? I mean, we live on this side of history, so we know who Jesus is. We know who Jesus was. But do you understand when Jesus is 30 years old and comes out of, the, out of relative obscurity and starts doing these amazing things and teaching these things as a carpenter from a small town of little consequence, nobody really knew who he was. Clean slate. Wait a second. This carpenter from Nazareth was teaching more profound truth than I'm hearing in the synagogue. What is happening? And God mapped that out perfectly. So Nazareth was part of the story. That's walking us through the whole thing here. <coughs> Herod has died. And again, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and tells him, Herod is dead. You can take your family back into Israel. Archelaus, chip off the old block. There's a thought that maybe he would try to run down his father's unsuccessful plan once they found out who Jesus was. If we go outside of his jurisdiction, that won't even be an option. Let's go back to Nazareth. The angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and confirms that. And they go into Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. He would be from a place of little consequence. What we're going to look at next week is John the Baptist coming on the scene and preparing the way for Jesus. There is a gap of a decent amount of years here. The best we've got is Luke 2.52 that says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. We don't know really anything about Jesus' childhood and life. Why? I don't know. I often say that's one I'll ask God when I get to heaven, but when I get to heaven, I probably won't care about the answer. So as I look through this passage, it's not just a historical thing, 
there are three things that I see in this that, I, that really jumped out to me that made me feel like, okay, I need to, what's the takeaway? This is God's word. It's living and active. What's the takeaway? Here's three things that I see. Number one, we all die. We all die. The question is, what are we living for? I've often heard it asked, what are you willing to die for? But I think it's the wrong question. The question is, what are you actually living for? Herod's decisions prove that he had a very temporal worldview. His worldview was small and it was temporal. It was based on what he saw left and right. There was no horizontal view in his life. There was no what's next. There was no trying to live for something else. It was always for him, right here, left, right, always watching in my peripherals for the next person trying to take me out. I'm going to live my life in constant anxiety, constant terror, constant dread that someone's going to finally find out who I really am, and I've got to protect that at all costs. I'm going to live my whole life exhausted and anxious, protecting what's on my left and right. That is a temporal world. And we're all prone to it. We all die, but we all spend so much time and energy trying to preserve our lives. And like I said, I watched the ball drop on New Year's Eve, and I don't watch a whole lot of live television. For streaming services, I basically just watch the shows I really like to be for without commercials. But I saw these commercials for new shows and new reality TV shows coming on, and, and some of them had celebrities that I remembered from shows back here, right? And they're showing them here now, and I'm like, what did they do to their face? <laughs> now, I don't want to sound mean, but like, do they not know that it's very obvious they've had a ton of work done? Trying to preserve something that their whole identity has been built around. Exterior beauty. See a temporal world who says if it feels good, do it. And Herod obviously lived under that moniker, and it took his life in there. Herod also lived under the, the, the moniker, if it threatens my kingdom, squash it. See, a temporal worldview has only really those two options. One, if it feels good, do it. And two, if it threatens this kingdom I'm building for myself, I will squash it. life I have here, it will end. 
I don't know when, and neither do you. And the church has lost his mom. She was 90. A friend of mine just uh, went out uh, out of state to visit his, to celebrate his grandfather's 100th birthday. But while we were home over Christmas, my father-in-law had to attend the funeral of a guy that was 51 and just went worked out in the morning and said he didn't feel right afterwards and had a brain aneurysm and died. There's no rhyme or reason to it. So if I'm living for left, right, I will always be anxious. Always. Because I won't be able to keep it from happening, first of all. And second of all, I will always be terrified that you're going to see who I really am. So I'm going to do whatever I can to preserve what I want you to see. That's exactly what Harry did. And it led to a horrible ending. That's how history remembers him. If it feels good, do it. If it threatens my kingdom, squash it. Like the temporal world did. But in the end, we all die. If we die without the hope of Jesus, that's a sad end. The second thing I see is the exact opposite of that. And it's through Jesus' eyes. Jesus found his significance from his heavenly father. He did not find his significance from his family. He did not find his significance in where he was from. He did not find his significance in his education. Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 5, tells us that he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. That's the prophecy of what the king was going to be like. All these things that we want to hang our hat on. This is my family name. This is my hometown. This is where I'm from. This is my education level. All of that stuff. That's Jesus did not find his significance in any of it. And God lined up the pieces so that there wasn't any significance to be had. He was from a nowhere town, born to nobody parents. With no education goes on ministry. He's 30. He's homeless. He doesn't have an address. He doesn't have an education. He doesn't have a family name. He doesn't have a hometown to say he's from. The people are like, oh, you're from there? That's cool. No, history says that he was exactly what Isaiah prophesied he would be. Despised and rejected. Because a biblical worldview, not a temporal one, a biblical worldview up and finds its significance there. And all of a sudden, that eternal perspective, it lessens my anxiety. Because I don't have to worry about an attack from the left or the right because I know I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't have to be consumed or concerned by being found out for who I really am because I am who Christ says I am, and I want to live out of that truth. I don't have to go somewhere and feel like, oh man, I hope nobody sees me here. I don't have to put on airs over here with this person because I want them to believe I'm something I'm not, because I want to fit in with them. And I don't have to do the different thing over here. 
because I'm afraid of what they might think of me if I don't live like them. And folks, you go out and grow that. That's not a genetic thing. If you're sitting here today and you think you've outgrown peer pressure, you are foolish. Peer pressure is the hook that tries to reel you into a temporal worldview. God's word is the only thing that cuts the line. Because we find our identity in what our eternal Heavenly Father says it is. And Jesus modeled that perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's Jesus. But he modeled it identity was always wrapped up in who his father said he was. The third thing that I see in this is more of a hopeful thing that I found a lot of rest in, I should say. And it's a new beginning. Listen to that first part again. And try to put yourself in the place of Joseph and Mary. First of all, nobody really knows how old Jesus is at this point. Some scholars believe he's upwards of seven years old. So some some biblical references lead us to believe that Jesus may, they may have lived in Egypt for upwards of five years. That whole time, terrified that the king would find them and kill their son. of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, to those who sought the child's life. Could you imagine the sigh of relief in the moment he got to tell Mary, pack it up, and this time it's for good. We're going home. We're going home. The ones who threatened us the ones who threatened our baby boy, they're gone. You get to go back home. I said it earlier, but at the end of the ball dropping, it wasn't this automatic turn, celebratory, kiss my wife, yay, it's 2022. <clears throat> I literally sat there with my hands on my knees, and I went, <sighs> and then you bang living room for probably a good three minutes as we processed. I asked earlier, but go ahead and raise your hand. Did anyone else feel that way coming out of last year to this one? Twenty twenty two began with a sigh. That's how it started for me. A sigh. But here's what God has done in just a few short hours since that moment. He's reminded me that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, those who want to threaten a godly life, who can really save your real enemy, won't hurt that. You can go. You can go on about your life, Adam. You can move forward, Adam, because God is still God. Our circumstances don't change God's character, but God's spirit can build our character in the midst of our circumstances. That's the way we do Jesus. 
because following Jesus is not going to make your circumstances better. Contrary to what you may hear in the world today, especially from so-called Christians, God does not necessarily want you happy with earthly circumstances. God does not want you wealthy so you can buy your basket of personal God wants you happy by his definition of happiness. And that's found only and solely in a relationship with him. That brings happiness. That brings joy. Unspeakable. So, can I stand here and say 2021 was easy? Well, I could, but I'd want. And I have no guarantee that this new year will be any better. That's always been like when you if you get online, you can find like graphic companies that make graphics and intro videos for churches to use or sermon series. You can even buy someone else's sermon series. Go ahead, Google, look, all of it, all of it is like, woo, yay, New Year, Happy New Year. But I'm not spending any money on that buffer video. I don't know how happy I am that we turned the page on a new year. It doesn't even feel like we turned into a new chapter. It's just like I'm still in the chapter that I want to be over. This book is horrible. Let's stop reading it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's me being me and not letting God be in God. And I can't even imagine the weight removed off of Joseph's shoulders whenever he met with that angel who told him, Harry, the threat on your son's life is over. Go back home. Raise my baby. His circumstances didn't change. There was still a tyrannical king in place. He still had to get splinters in his hands and provide a livelihood for his family from being a carpenter. His circumstances didn't change God's character. But God's spirit built his character in the midst of Knowing who God is, knowing that God is God, I can trust Him. I can come into this year with joy. I might not be, you know, skipping through the parking lot. Sometimes it's like getting one here. <laughs> find joy where I can find it hunched over trying to just like make it through the day, right? I don't think that's how we're supposed to live. I think God is bigger than that. 
God provides more joy than that. God provides more uh, solution to an anxious, anxiety-ridden life than that. And God has given us tools at our disposal to find joy in him. And I can, like Joseph and Mary did, trust him at every turn. Nothing about what looks to be about Jesus' first seven years, I'm sure, played out the way. When Mary was a little girl, maybe pretending to play house, I'm pretty positive that's not how it played out for her. unto me as you have said. That's Mary's posture. That seems to be Joseph's posture too. I just keep reminding myself of that. My circumstances don't change God's character, but his spirit in me can build my character into his character. And when I look at that that way, excited about where we're headed as a church. I'm excited about the growth in my family. I mean my spiritual growth, metaphorical growth. My wife's not present. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hit my knees and look up to a good, good God and say, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. I will follow you. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. I'll follow you. That's where my burden lays off my shoulders. And I look at it from time to time, but I don't want to put it on anymore. I want to be free to follow God. I want to be able to see Jesus. Because Jesus bought me started off because he had parents who trusted God and just went where God told them to go and did what God told them to do. In the midst of horrendous times. Let's be people who follow God. God, where you go, we want to go. Where you stay, we want to stay. Where you move, we'll move. start off a new year. Man, I really do believe Satan wants us to feel just beaten down, discouraged. He wants us to feel shame and regret. Those are never tools of our good God to get our attention. Those are not tools that you use to shepherd our hearts in love and tenderness and grace and mercy.
Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. I was looking at seeing it get a bunch of guys if they wanted to do uh, like good calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some movies. Yeah. Take another weekend off game for it. Yeah. Thank you. That'd be awesome. I was thinking then, okay, maybe then the weekend after that. Yeah. Yeah, that should be fine. That would work. I mean, it works on my schedule. Yeah. I'm down. That, or, or, what I'm not telling you is I'm actually building a little workshop for weapons manufacturing. Yes! I'm going to force you to become my owls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to work a height joke in there and I couldn't quite get it out. It's somewhere in there. <laughs> I'm only going to feed you sugar, you know. But I'm alright. But I want the candy cane cookies. <laughs> I'm happy I watched this. Uh, I'm not ready to admit that it was awful. But it was like, if I paid for it, I would be upset. Right, exactly. But we